Well, we're continuing our series today. Hello. Um, and we're talking about this idea of average Joes, and we're looking at the letters of Peter and John and the way these are two really ordinary guys who do extraordinary things when they begin to recognize what God has done in their life. And so today, we're talking about this idea, have you ever wrestled with or have you ever wondered with why we have these dreams and yet something still holds us back? At the end of the day, what we hope for, what we long for, doesn't ever happen. Something keeps us from becoming the fullness of who we could be. The truth is, many of us, we don't grow up or we're not born risk-averse. We're not, like, afraid. I mean, some of us may be, but, but many of us, by circumstances in life, we become, over time, risk-averse. Now, I've got to be honest here. Um, when I was a kid, maybe, maybe now as an adult as well, I'm a little bit afraid of heights, like, probably almost in a healthy level. I'm not afraid of planes, though. Don't ask me why. They, that seems to be different. But, but heights have always bothered me. So when I was seven years old, my family went to Kings Island Amusement Park in Cincinnati. And so we're there, and there's this water park, and I love water parks, and, and there's this ride that you go on, and it's like a big tube. It's like the safest water slide you could ever go on, right? It's like eight people in a big circle, and my family, my brother's four, by the way, at the time of this. And so my mom can't go because she's got a baby, and she's like, well, you go, go have fun. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. That thing is way too tall. I am not walking up all those steps. That is way too high. So I said no. So all my family, my aunt and uncle, they all went, and then they get done. They're like, Aaron, you will love this. And I said, no, I'm not going. They went again. They come down a third time. They go, Aaron, will you go with us again? Come on, you got to come. So now my, my dad, my aunt and uncle, and now my four-year-old brother is telling me, you don't need to be scared. It's okay. It's not scary. And I turned and I looked at them, and I'm still reminded of this story again and again. I go, would you just all get off my back? And I turned around, and I walked away, and I sat on the bench by my mom. And I never did ride that water slide until years later. And I was like, it was super fun. Why did I not do that? Right? Because when we're gripped by fear, when we panic with what we see in front of us, our circumstances are such that we don't know what to do with that. And then I back up about eight years ago. We were in Indianapolis. We were staying in a hotel, visiting family, and my son was there. And they had a pool, and so I knew he'd love the pool, but unfortunately he's my son. And so like the whole heights thing or jumping into stuff, it's a little bit scary. And so he's two, and he's standing on the edge of the pool, and I, I said, Isaac, jump to me. Eh, no, Dad. So I finally grab his hands and just kind of pull him in. And he starts laughing. And next thing I know, for the next couple hours, he just jumps one after the other. In fact, at one point, I was turning, talking to Katie, and he jumped, and I was not ready for him. And I'm glad he landed on me, or else I'd have been fishing a kid out of the water. He might not have been so fearless in the middle of that, but he modeled this way of living that I think is so valuable for us. He modeled courage beyond what is known. Like, he didn't know for sure how this was going to go in the water, but he eventually trusted his dad that you're going to catch me. I mean, he eventually had so much faith that he's jumping in when I wasn't even paying attention. 
What's the difference between these two ways of living? One, which we're gripped by fear, and there's no way, no matter who tells us, our parents, our family, our friends, our four-year-old brother can tell us not to be afraid, and yet we're still afraid. We're gripped by panic, by anxiety, by fear. But how do we live as a fearless two-year-old jumping into a pool trusting that their dad's going to catch them? See, here's what I believe. I believe our faith, we model really one of those two kinds of ways. We live that out. And so Peter here in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be looking at the chapter here in just a moment. But, but Peter is beginning to address a people. Again and again, we looked last week how he's talking to people. How he listen, you're chosen by God. He's writing to a church that is scattered, that is in exile. He's writing to a church that is being persecuted and suffering. And he says, hey, by the way, don't forget, Jesus conquered the grave. And so we're just going to read from 1 Peter chapter 2. Here's what we see. The first five verses, and then we'll read verses 9 and 10. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are chosen people. This is jumping to verse 9. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter begins here with this kind of challenge. Because here's the reality for us. If we're not careful, things keep us from God. If we're not careful, there's a life we want to live and the life that we're living, and they're separated, not because God wants it to be that way, but because we choose a way of living that leads us away. We choose to be malicious, deceitful, hypocritical. We slander other people. What we find is the more we move that way, that we're never able to live life to its fullest, or love in the fullest way in which God created us to love. We just can't do it. In fact, I would say it this way. We cannot walk into what God has for us if we don't walk away from what drags us down. We can't walk into what God has for us if we don't walk away from what drags us down because for some of us, we choose to follow Jesus and yet we find ourselves again and again drawn back to the same destructive patterns of life that led us to other places in the history of our life that we don't really want to live. I mean, here's, here's how we could say this. Have you noticed, have you spent five minutes on social media or watching the news There's such a great push to push fear at one level. I don't care what level it is. Have you noticed how how people are quick to slander others without actually knowing them? Have you noticed how we will say all kinds of things behind a keyboard that we wouldn't say face to face? 
this. This is exactly what Peter is talking about. Put this stuff behind you. Don't let this define the people of God. In fact, what I would say it this way, um, those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, we should live in such a way that we model this for the sake of others because here's the reality. When we don't, when we don't model the, the discarding of these things, what we find is more and more people are not willing to embrace who Jesus is and to follow him because we're called to be his witnesses, his reflection in the world. I know. I keep thinking he should have come up with a better plan too, but he didn't. He picked us. So how do we live into this? How do we become this kind of people? See, this is what we begin to see, that Peter then moves into this next idea that faith is not private. In fact, he calls the church these particular phrases. He says we are chosen by God. We talked about that last week, how God chooses all people to be his people. He says we're a holy nation. He defines the church as a holy nation, the church itself. You notice the church has no borders It is not a singular nation. It's not defined by who's elected to whatever office. The church transcends all those things. The kingdom of God is not defined by them. It says we're God's special possession. A people moving from light out of darkness. This is the invitation to be God's unique people. And I left out one in particular on purpose. He says we're a royal priesthood. Now, If I tell you today that you are a priest, some of you are like, "Eh, I don't know about that. But if you claim to follow Christ and you've committed your life to that, then today you're a priest. You just don't have to wear the collar. But that's scary, right? Because what does a priest actually do? Well, if you look in the Old Testament, I'm just going to summarize briefly. They do lots of things. They offered sacrifices. They, They did all kinds of stuff. But they really were bridge builders. They helped connect people to God. Priests connected people to God. They bridged the gap. We've been talking here as a church about our vision for 2030. What does it look like to be people who bridge the gap from what is to what could be? What could be? We've talked in three particular ways here. We've been talking about how do we bridge the gap spiritually? What's that look like? We have even these little cards that are available. I mean, I know we're not really passing stuff out right now, but it's online. You can take a picture with your phone. But it's how do we bridge the gap spiritually? Then we talk about what's that look like individually? What's it look like as a community of faith? We talk about how do we bridge the gap generationally, right? How do we make sure each generation values each generation? How do we live in such a way that we listen to those who've come before, but also those who have come before listen to those who are coming now? How do we recognize we have to embrace diversity, that that we want to do our best to recognize God's people are every color, every race, every place on earth? And we say, what would it look like if we bridge the gap from what is to what could be in terms of justice and kindness? What might that look like? How might we do that? How might we begin to see that God's kingdom looks radically different than the world we live in, but we're invited to live in such a way that the words of Jesus and the prayer he taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we embrace those as our everyday life. And so our church, we're committed to being the people who bridge the gap from what is to what could be. That's what it looks like to be a royal priesthood. And you're a part of it. 
So am I. And so is anybody who claims Jesus as Lord. Peter goes on to say these words, and this is helpful for us as we think about what's it look like to do this. He says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. What might it look like if the people of God lived such good lives that if someone wanted to discredit the church, they couldn't because the witness they saw was so great? What might it look like if we embrace this idea? What might it look like for us to do this? What might it look like if we lived in such a way that we could silence ignorant talk of people? Now, here's the challenge. We just can't be people who talk ignorantly. That's also a part of this. What if, what if we did that? And so Paul gives a list. He says, show respect to everyone. Like even the person that doesn't respect me? Yes. What if I don't like them? Too bad. Show respect to everyone. Love each other in the church. We can, we can disagree with each other here. That's okay. But we better learn to love each other in spite of that. Because if we're not doing that, we miss Jesus' words in John. They'll know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. He says this. He says, honor the emperor. And you're like, we don't have an emperor. Good. Yeah, but do you know who this emperor was? Pretty certain it was Nero. Nero used Christians as candles, by the way. Led them to slaughter, or martyred for their faith, and Peter says, "Honor him." Excuse me. We honor until, as Peter or Paul or others would say, we honor until it, it disobeys the law of love of Christ. And then he says this, he says, fear God. And if you're like me, you're like, I don't want to be afraid of God. That sounds no good. Well, how about think in terms of reverence and awe? Not fear as in I'm afraid. I can't be, oh. But like, there's something about who God is that just leads me to this place of the depth of his love for us, this invitation to know this. If I live that out, if I embrace that, what might happen if I lived and I showed respect for others with how I lived and spoke and acted and worked? was a neighbor? How do we do all this? How do we show love and respect to others, especially when they disagree with us? Especially when we feel like maybe we're suffering or we're persecuted. How do we do that? Well, maybe we embrace these words that Peter gives us at the end of this chapter. He says this, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, 
He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you like sheep going astray. But now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. How do we live this way? How do we embrace this as a way of life? One who's the shepherd and overseer of our souls? Because Jesus offers us his presence in a way that changes our perspective on the entire world and even our own life. How do we live into that? Have you noticed in the world around us that anxiety seems to have risen at great heights? Have you noticed this? I mean, have you seen how we're anxious about all kinds of things right now? We are not sure what's going to happen with schools. We don't know whether... COVID is a hoax or not a hoax. We're not sure what's going on politically. We don't know what's going on with the employment or unemployment. It feels like chaos. But what if it doesn't have to? What if it doesn't have to? Edwin Friedman was a, um, a rabbi, a, a family therapist, and a leadership consultant. And so he coined a phrase years and years ago, and the phrase is pretty simple. It's this, a non-anxious presence. A non-anxious presence. And by definition, what he meant by this was that, especially in terms of family community, if there was someone in the household that could be the non-anxious presence, the person who, when everything was chaos all around, when anxiety would spike, if this person could be non-anxious, anxious. It could have a calming effect on those around. In fact, the non-anxious person would have the ability to lead people through difficult circumstances because the circumstances around did not change that person. Calm in the middle of chaos. When the world around you is exploding, it feels uncertain, calm, in the middle of the storm. There's a story about Jesus, right? There's a storm. He's literally sleeping. See, there's something about Jesus that is the ultimate non-anxious presence. But what might happen for us if we spent so much time in his presence that it changed us? I might say it this way. Becoming a non-anxious presence comes when we rest in his presence. Becoming a non-anxious presence comes when we rest in his presence because the truth is, all those things I listed, none of us in this room have any influence at the end of the day on what's going to happen with any of those things. None. I mean, I guess you quit your job or not apply for a job. Like those, you can control that. But the truth is, none of us can control when a virus may or may not stop. None of us can control if kids are going back to school or not going back to school. None of us can control whether employment is going to improve or decline. None of us have any control over those things. None of us can control what laws Congress may or may not pass, what president may or may sign off on. None of us can control any of those things. Sure, we can maybe choose to have influence. We may have influence at some level, but we have zero control. 
what can we do? We can rest in his presence, one who shepherds our souls. See, um, we can do this because Jesus forgave even those who crucified him. Learning to live as a non-anxious presence requires courage greater than our fear. Living as a non-anxious presence requires, requires courage greater than our fear. It requires not being me as a seven-year-old scared to death to climb up the steps and go down the water slide. It requires being my two-year-old son who jumps, not knowing for certain, but trusting the one on the other side. Are you and I willing to live in such a way that that's the life we begin to reflect? In fact, I think there's a prayer for the Reinhold Niebuhr um, coined years ago. It's called the Serenity Prayer, and we've prayed it before. If you've been a part of Alcoholics Anonymous or many other groups like that, you've prayed it there as well. But what might happen if we embrace this prayer as our prayer today? What if we invited God to speak into our life? What if we found that we could become the non-anxious people? And can you imagine we want to bridge from what is to what could be? We want to bridge that gap? We want to be a royal priesthood? It might just happen if we became the non-anxious people of God he's calling us to be. might just be an invitation to change the world around us. We might be able to become the calming presence of God for those who we know. So we'll just kind of pray this prayer together. It'll be on the screen for you. We'll just pray it together as our prayer, and then I'll, I'll say a closing prayer, and then Chase will, will come and dismiss us. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. If you need to write that down, if you need to put it on the mirror in your bathroom or on the dashboard in your car, if you need to take a picture and screenshot that thing, I don't care. But for us to recognize the, the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. I can walk away from certain things of life and I can walk into what God has for me. And the wisdom to know the difference. There is a better future than our current reality. There is opportunity for us to have God so change our life and our heart that who we were is not who we are. That can change. And God desperately desires to do that work. And Jesus is the shepherd inviting us to hear his voice, calling us to him. Father, will you help us this day as we prepare to go our separate ways, as we prepare to leave this place, to recognize that you are near, that you love us, that you desire for us to be your unique people. And so, Father, we pray in these moments that we would entrust our life and our future to you, that we would be the kind of people recognize we are really called to be a royal priesthood. We're called to be the kind of people who live with such courage in the middle of uncertainty. And Father, my prayer for me and for us is that we might become the people of God 
but because we spend so much time in your presence that we can live with a non-anxious presence. And so, Father, we pray this in your son Jesus' name.